Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So you and first. I was just about to say you. <laughs> I know. I you know you are, me. and that's why I came in you first. You saw me forming the words you I first. Did. And I just swooped in there. So yes. wrong. That's you so first. wrong. What is what astonishing, is astonishing you? you? Well, I'm astonished that I am not astonished by the report that the police officers who shot Breonna Taylor yeah. are not being charged. I'm, I'm astonished that I'm not astonished. And um, I think, you know, as an African-American, it, you know, you grow up with a, um, a story, a narrative given to you in school that America is about freedom and liberty, right? And you grow up hearing that. And justice for all. And, and justice for all. And then you begin to not only hear, but see another narrative. That there is liberty and uh, freedom and it benefits some and not others. And if you're an African-American, you begin to see very clearly that the system is not designed to benefit you. The system is designed to put you in the backseat, to, to give you a second-class status, and you have to decide if you're going to say, well, that's just how it is, and go along with it, if you're going to... Um, fight it, uh, you, you've got to have some response to it. Well, I think for many of us, you just go through these periods where you, um, you're very optimistic about change, and then you hit this really low valley of discouragement and disappointment and hopelessness. And then there are seasons of, well, just kind of sober, sober clarity. It's like, okay, I see the system. I see that this is a power and principality. I see that this is not going to change overnight. It will change. Um, and so it just takes, you, you take a deep breath and say, okay, this is about a long, long, struggle. And I, I think I'm, I'm in that place. Um, so I'm, I'm not astonished, but, but I, I, I see the system and I'm neither, I'm neither losing my mind with rage, nor am I um, shriveled up with hopelessness. It's just kind of a sober, okay, I see this, I see this beast and I've got to be committed along with many others who are living now and who live before me and will live after me 
be committed to this long, hard struggle. And, and, and this beast will have its end. I don't know when. I just know I need to do my part. Yeah. And I think like cynicism is not a faithful response to what's happening, that it's just really important that as much as this pattern is predictable, that doesn't mean that we have the freedom to resign ourselves to it because it's, it is not just, and justice is a hallmark of the kingdom of God and people who follow Jesus can never be indifferent to injustice. And I, I mean, I also this week am astonished not by the, the, um, verdict per se. Um, although I think it's just worth noting in, in, in line with not being resigned. I mean, it is just important to say that the only officer who was charged was charged not for shooting her, but for missing and firing into the other department. That right, and so like that is what is legal in Kentucky, um, and and where I'm from, um, where I grew up as the daughter of two lawyers. You know, where I grew up having a very idealized understanding of equal justice under the law. And um, what I am astonished about is um, the way that I am hearing white people use the name of Jesus in response to this, um, really in response to the outrage generated by this decision. Because I, and, you know, because I'm from Louisville, I'm connected um, on social media to a lot of folks who I don't know really well and who I don't, you know, I really don't often hear them talk about their faith or identify themselves by their faith. But in response to um, the level of um, um, unrest and, you know, the city has declared a state of an emergency and there's lots of, you know, um, roads that have been blocked off and there's a curfew. And so what I think is while the entire, um, while the original incident, um, while the original murder really made most black people feel understandably very unsafe. Now the reaction to it has begun to make white people feel unsafe and uncomfortable. And it's interesting that what I, I hear white people, some white people, not all, but some white people bring out the name of Jesus in response to the grand jury decision. And people say like, things to the effect of like, well, I mean, Jesus is the answer. Only Jesus can fix this. We just need to put our faith in Jesus. Or at the end of the press conference, Daniel Cameron, the AG said, you know, I just need to, we just need to love our neighbors. And I'm like, I am um, astonished and, and on the enraged <laughs> end of the astonishment spectrum to hear the name of Jesus and the command to love neighbor be so, um, so clearly um, leveraged against people who are crying out for justice, right? So when when Daniel Cameron says at the end of this press conference, everyone love your neighbor, what he means is, you know, don't cause any disturbance or discomfort to any of the stakeholders in the city because that would be unloving for them. What he, of course, does not mean is to say, what is loving your neighbor lead us to do in response to what happened to Breonna Taylor. Like Breonna Taylor is not the neighbor that he's talking about in that scenario, nor anyone who feels, 
you know, an existential threat from the state and the city of Louisville, right? And when I hear white Christians say like, well, only Jesus can fix that. And, and sort of the idea is like, so everybody just go home and stop making such a fuss about this because there's no point in you being on the street. And there's certainly no point in you making me uncomfortable because it's not my responsibility because only Jesus can fix this. And I am, I'm astonished and enraged to hear the name of Jesus invoked to get people to calm down about the state's murder of an innocent civilian and then justification of that murder after the fact, seeing as Jesus was an innocent man who was tried, condemned, and executed by the state in a perfectly legal maneuver. So to use the name of Jesus to tell people not to respond to um, the state's killing of an innocent person is, is just blasphemy. And I also want to point out that it's so astonishingly transparently inconsistent when some of these same white Christians will post, you know, save our children and boycott Wayfair and D, you know, and please, um, you know, unactivate your subscription to Netflix because, because they're concerned about human trafficking or child trafficking or, you know, never forget 9-11. And nobody's response to that is like, hey, simmer down people because only Jesus can fix this. So let's just accept this level of injustice or oppression in the world. No, like everybody understands that to just turn a blind eye to the suffering of the innocent is, is a sin against God unless it comes to the original sin of America where white people feel very uncomfortable because we are um, on, in our flesh identified with the oppressors and not with the oppressed. And that's when we just kind of want to be like Pilate and wash our hands and go like, well, what is truth anyway? And I just, I understand that people can have a difference of opinion in how the state should respond to what happened, but do not bring the name of Jesus into this. If what you're encouraging people to do is just to accept that this is the way it is and it's okay. And, you know, one of the officers, an email that the officer who was wounded wrote to his fellow officers this week was released. And he was just encouraging the officers to, you know, go be warriors. And it's not fair that you have to deal with, with thugs like this. And what we did that night, I'm sure was, um, legal, ethical, and moral. And that's, you know, if that's your opinion, that's fine. But do not put the name of Jesus on that because I don't need, I don't need vengeance for anyone. I don't need the officers who are the least powerful people in the system to have their lives ruined while the people who are really, you know, executing these warrants get off scot-free like that. I don't need vengeance. I don't need scapegoating, but I do need everybody to be able to acknowledge the plain truth, which is this is not supposed to happen. And if somehow this is legal, then we need to change the laws. Yes. And in addition to all of that, um, you know, I've been thinking about what does it mean to make progress? Because for <laughs> a, a long time, uh, my thinking was at least we're making progress. At least, at least we're moving some things forward. And my, my thinking is, is changing on that slightly. Um, I, I do think we can inch our way forward in um, 
changing laws and changing the system by changing laws. And I do think uh, some progress has been, can be, and will be made. But I think I have put too much emphasis on that. Um, I'm also measuring progress by the way I maintain and affirm my own humanity, my own image of godness in the midst of a system that would deny my humanity and my being created in the image of God, that, 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 that God uses that as well in ways that I can't really see um, to bring progress. And I, I don't know if I can say much more than that, but there's something, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm beginning to see myself as, as uh, a, a change agent, not someone who, you know, is in the, um, um, in the halls of, of power, um, you know, shaping laws, not even someone who is um, in the streets leading a protest, but hmm, being my full self, I, again, I'm gonna stumble through this, um, loving my family, being good to my child, um, and and I'm not saying that this is this is all that we need to do. Certainly, no, but certainly, certainly not. But there is a there, there there's a there's a power in that as well. And there's a this whole to change this whole system takes a, to change the system takes a, a multifaceted approach. And that's one that I haven't emphasized very much. And I'm I'm starting to in my own life, especially in this in this pandemic, when I can't, there's, I'm not in touch with a lot of people. I'm not seeing the people of God in person. Um, I do feel a sense of, of empowerment in what I do in, in my house. Uh, if, if that makes now any I, sense at all. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Like basically to be able to say that you, that your freedom and the fullness of life that you enjoy in Jesus Christ is not contingent upon this system being broken down that we mm -hmm. we live in the kingdom of god which is fully realized in us here and now so there's no external standard that you're waiting for validation from in order to just you know that joy is an act of resistance mm -hmm. in this in this system and to say i don't need you know i don't need access to certain powerful tables. I don't need validation from certain powerful people. I don't need you to see me. You're not, however you see me has no effect, has no power to change the way that I know I am because of who I am created in the image of God. And because I've been redeemed by the son of God, I know who I am. And I think that's, that's like incredibly powerful. And I, when you talk about progress, um, there's a great article I think in the New York Times, an interview with a comedian, Chris Rock. Have we talked about this yet? No, but I've heard uh, about I mean, this tweet. Why? Well, I, I mean, in his, his article is just great in general. And one of the things he's talking about progress and he's saying like for, for generations, 
black people have talked about we're making progress and he's saying it is not black people who need to make progress like there have mm-hmm. never been any doubt in the minds of black people about the our full sacred humanity it's white people who have had the mental defect of not understanding that black people are human so black people don't need to make any progress it's white people who need to who need to heal who need to repair who need to make progress both in their misunderstanding of who black people are and in their misunderstanding of who of who the, of who we are as white people and i i mean i really resonate with that that as much as i definitely know that solutions aren't solutions unless they are life-giving for the most marginalized people and so a lot of this work of repair needs to be led by um, voices and center wisdom that's often been excluded and that is very true and it's not white people that are going to be able to envision a world that's fully just for all people just because of the progress we have not made and yet I also understand that the people who need to make progress in their humanity is not, you know, are, it's, that is the work that white people need to do. And, and part of that, I mean, just seeing the way, seeing the way my fellow white Christians talk about this and the way they invoke the name of Jesus on the side of law and order and not on the side of justice and righteousness. I mean, we are the ones who need to make progress and like, that's okay. Like, in the sense that like the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy. And so we're not garbage and God's not going to throw us away. But like, we definitely need to understand that we are the ones who can't see and we are the ones who need our sight restored. And that, you know, that, that is hard because the kingdom of this world that is passing away has always told us that our preference, our sight, our thinking is the standard to which everything else needs to defer and to come into the kingdom of God and see exactly what the gospel has always proclaimed, exactly what is so clear that, you know, the people who think they can see are blind and the people who know they're blind can, can immediately receive the grace to find, to find sight. And that's, I mean, that's the consistent witness of scripture. And I mean, people have been saying this a lot lately, that the problem is white Christians, we continually White American Christians continually see ourselves in the role of the Hebrew slaves when the role that we occupy in the world is as the Egyptian oppressors. Like that's the role we, and like this week I was doing some prep work on a um, a Bible study I think we're going to do. And it it caused me, I was reading Exodus because I was looking for a particular line of Pharaoh's that we're going to do as the foundational verse where he says something to the effect of like, you know, who is this God that you serve that's going to make me let my slaves go free in this great irony of like uh, the God of all the nation, like I'll tell you, right? But I'm I'm reading through this and all the plague narratives just to get it. And it, it is chilling to read that, you know, there's a plague and Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes, oh, I see, I was wrong, like in the plague and I'll let the people go. And it, you know, and God does and he doesn't. And so there's another plague in the same cycle. And Pharaoh goes, oh, I see, I was wrong in the plague and I'll let the people go. And, you know, just again and again and again and again and every single time. And, and you know, it strikes me that for these last years, you know, starting with Michael Brown, like again and again and again, like there's this, this horrifying miscarriage, tragic miscarriage, violence, a miscarriage of justice and violence. And, and it's not righteous. And, and so many white Americans like say like, oh, I, you know, I see. And like, just we'll, we'll make this right. And we'll, you know, and then, and then 
we don't. And then we tell everybody to simmer down. And, you know, the, the witness of scripture is this is not going to end well for us. And mm. we, we need to get on the side of justice and righteousness because God is not moving. Um, anyway, that is what is astonishing me. Wow. Uh, well, what do you think about <laughs> me again what, what no no i mean I'll, I'll that's fine i'll go first this time i um i don't have a lot to say but just we are thinking about we are planning um next wednesday we are going to do a service of lament as a congregation and we're going to do it um on zoom and it's going to be we are not going to live stream it so it's it's not going to be something you know it'll be something for the people who are in in the virtual room, but not necessarily for anybody who might find it five years from now. Um, but basically, you know, because of, because of what we've been talking about and, you know, the, um, what happened in Louisville is very present and visceral for, for us and, and the pandemic and just how hard life is in general and, you know, cancer and other, you know, just like things are very hard right now. And, you know, all of the anxiety and rhetoric surrounding the election and what might happen afterwards and, you know, wildfires and anyway, and we just, um, one of uh, Rachel, our ministry coordinator was saying like, I really, I really wish we could do a service of lament, just a place for people, um, to, to cry out to God and to grieve. And, and I was like, well, we, we are ridiculously in charge, so we can. And I, and I think that, you know, we've never done it before. And I don't know that there, I mean, there probably is some liturgy somewhere in the book of common worship, but I mean, what it's going to look like for us is just, um, you know, creating a space, um, and inviting people if they want to contribute to, you know, have a, a space where they can, offer a prayer or a testimony or a song or a poem. Um, and the rest of us can, can just hold space, can just bear witness, just to be really raw before the Lord about everything that we're carrying in these days. Um, and the, the things that are hard on a personal level and on a national level and on an international level and our, our fears and our grief and our rage. And, um, and just offer, offer them up to God and hold space for one another and um, lament. So that, so that's what I'm thinking about. And there's, there's not going to be a sermon. There's not going to be a part in the end where we tie a bow on it or try to explain it, um, but just, just to bring um, our broken hearts into the presence of the holy and and cry out for for healing and hope. So. That is what we're thinking. I'm thinking about right now. Wow, I love that idea, and um, I think it will be at least upon first hearing. It just sounds so healing. It sounds um, healthy. Um, I mean, how much are we encouraged to um, celebrate in public, but not lament in public? Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that's really, really faithful. 
And speaking of lament, uh, it's, it's kind of what I'm thinking about today. Um, I'm thinking about a man named Sylvester Brown. Um, about 15, 16 years ago, I entered the life of New Friendship Presbyterian Church. And uh, there were three men in that congregation that just blessed my soul. Uh, Sylvester Brown, um, Robbie Westmoreland, and Jerry Johnson. And all three of these men, um, my, my dad's age group. And uh, Sylvester Brown was especially um, uh, special to me. He was very vocal. Um, he's quick with an opinion, loud. And um, I remember once he was talking to a member of the congregation or actually several members of the congregation. And, you know, Sylvester grew up, um, he's got a farm. He valued calloused hands and sweat. And I heard him say, he wasn't talking to me. He didn't know I was here, was listening, but I heard him say to some members of the church, He'll say, I'll tell you something about Hinton. It's like, Hinton is no lazy preacher. That is a working man. And that just blessed my soul. And I found out yesterday um, that he uh, died from uh, COVID. And um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it, it hit me particularly hard um, because so much of my. Um, work in that church um, was supported by him. He was the son of a preacher. And yeah. so he, he just had a soft spot for, now if, now if you came into that congregation and you were not about anything, this man would give you hope free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I found him to be fun and pleasant and again, very opinionated. I never had to worry about, you know, where I stood with him or what he thought. And um, I really liked him. And it's it's a reminder, you know, as a pastor, you know, we do this work and we shepherd people, but by God's grace, they, they become our friends, they become family. And um, I am... You know, I'm thinking about his his three adult sons. I'm thinking about his wife. I'm thinking about uh, this small congregation that. Yeah. I mean, he was the he was he was the lay leader of this congregation. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, just thinking about Sylvester Brown and and um, how my life and ministry blessed through him. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry to hear about his death because he's um, sounds like an incredible human, and I and I do think like it's funny how what a unique and holy connection we get to have. It's just what a privilege it is to to be a pastor, and and not just a pastor. I mean, what a privilege it is to like love people who who were it not for Jesus, were it not for the church, we wouldn't know. Like it reminds me of several years ago, a, um, a man at the Grove, Ralph Scarborough died. And um, I, we were driving home 
after church, some, something, and Quinn was in the back seat, and he had just died, and she, she was dark, and I just hear her voice in, from the back saying, like, Mommy, I'm, I'm really sad that Mr. Ralph died, and I just thought, I mean, what a privilege it is that my child loved and was loved enough to 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 be sad that he died right like just because to be sad that someone has died means that that you really loved them that their life that you recognize the sanctity of their life and that I mean that pain is ultimately such a great gift and such a manifestation of grace to say that we we really do belong to one another and that's um, just hard, a hard edge to grace, but, but one I would not want, you know, I would never want to be indifferent to the death of one of the saints. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, that's good. Well, what are you preaching about my friend? I am, I am <laughs> preaching we are never ever ever going to um live stream this podcast like i just want to be clear like i know your dad thinks that would be fun we will never do it but if people could see the expressions on your face (laughs) and the body language like like, i mean i'm just sorry y'all are missing out because it's hilarious what are you preaching about (laughs) i am preaching a christmas slash advent text actually in an Advent slash Christmas text. Um, Isaiah 40, where the text says, comfort my people. Yeah. And um, Israel is in in exile in Babylon and they are weary. They are tired. They're weary um, because they're in this place of oppression. They're weary because their own sins brought them to that place. Um, And there's this word that comes from heaven through the prophet, comfort my people. And, you know, the the word comfort Latin means to come with strength. And so God is coming to his people um, not with, you know, a pat on the back, poor baby, I'm so sorry you're going through a hard time, but God's coming to bring them some strength. And uh, that's the first part of the sermon. Um, but And God not only comes with strength, God comes with a word of promise that there's going to be this highway built between where God is and where the people are, and that God, God, is, God is coming to them and, you know, um, every valley exalted, every mountain and hill made low, and that 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 God is on the way. But then the text ends with a word of 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 calling, of purpose, that they are to proclaim good news in word and deed. And I. I think that's a, um, and, I'm, and the, the message is called a word to the weary that in this season, mm-hmm. which we are all tired for various reasons, yeah. we're weary of, you know, what we're seeing on the news. We're weary of this pandemic. We're weary of just the um, things we deal with every day. Listen, God, 
God promises strength, but it's not strength just just for me and mine to make it through this season. Yeah. But it is a strength for us to sit up, stand up, and start walking in our calling as the church to be about mm-hmm. good news in word and deed. And um, so I, I, just, I just feel like God is calling the church, at least the congregation I serve, to be very careful of wallowing in self-pity, to be very careful yeah. of focusing only on our pain and the pain of the church and the pain of our families when we are surrounded by a world, surrounded by a neighborhood that is in many cases in much more pain. Yeah. And calling us to see that. And God is, God is promising us strength to minister to the world. That's really beautiful. And that's a, I mean, obviously an amazingly appropriate text for this, for this week, six months in to a pandemic when, yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And you are preaching? Yeah, I know because I I called you on this afternoon and I was like, I have to finish this and record this and I cannot land the plane so please so i i sent you my manuscript and, and it is a great sermon well and, well and first of all listen as a black preacher you just love the text i don't know a black preacher that does not love the story of shadrach meshach and abednego that yeah. is just it's well, like I, yeah i mean it, it is like Empty tomb. It's just up there. Yes, go it ahead. Is, I'm sorry. It's dry bones. It's yeah. I mean, it it is the whole. It's it's everything. And I and I think that is both really exciting and really overwhelming because. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the last Sunday in our um, holy uncomfortable series, and so like really trying to help people understand that that holiness and discomfort often go hand in hand, not always, but often. And so this idea that these young men, because of their faithfulness to God, are are then find themselves in this incredibly precarious situation where they, you know, are are commanded to bow down to a false God and they refuse to do that, even though they they, they could have done it, like they could have just done it and then gone on with their lives, but they refuse to do it and they make this um bold declaration of faith to to the king um and they just say like we just want you to know that our god can save us because uh, the king has just said you know what god can rescue you from my hand and said like we just want you to know that our god can save us and and our god will save us but even if not we want you to know that we're not bowing down to your statue to you or your statue and just this idea of saying like i i i am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so I know that God has the power to do anything and to, and to um, save us from any threat. But also, even if that doesn't happen, I still won't worship these values. I still won't bow down to, to this system. I, and that even, you know, in acknowledging the freedom of God to um, subvert the power that 
you have these monarchs who, you know, who think they're absolute that, that we then in the freedom of God, find our own freedom to say, you, you know, to this person, you, you might have all the power in the world, but one thing you don't have the power to do is make me bow down. And that I, I just think, I mean, obviously in this moment, we, we, um, as a, as a community and as a nation are having this, this meta narrative discussion about, you know, what is truth and what is freedom and what is justice and what is righteousness. And there are places where, um, Christians of all races can just go along to get along, um, and just sort of say, you know, I'm going to turn the other way. I'm going to stay in my home. I'm just going to play by the rules and, and, and be reasonably confident that, bad things will happen, but they won't happen to me or, or to stand up and say, you know, these, these things are wrong and these, this is not justice and this is not righteousness. And I, and I won't co-sign on, on evil and call it good. And so I, 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 but I think it's really important that for so long, um, we have absorbed not from the Bible, but from the culture that that being a good citizen and being a faithful Christian are the same thing. And, yeah. and that was never the case. Um, and, and in this moment, it's just becoming very clear that um, there, there could come a time for all of us where, where staying faithful to God means um, is no longer something that's honored in our culture is no longer something that makes you successful or, or, you know, gives you special perks, but actually, um, leads to the great discomfort of, of, you know, being one of the only people who stand up and say no. And I think, I mean, I didn't get to this in the sermon, but, you know, it's just also just this idea that it's, you know, who knows where Daniel is in this particular story, but that it's just these three young men. And then everyone else is just going on with this, like just going along with this idea that, yes, we should all bow down to the statue every time the king put, you know, and yes, if you don't bow down, you, you deserve to be burned to death in a crematorium. Like, like everyone else is just saying like, yeah, this is the way it is. I mean, which is, I mean, to our earlier conversation, like so many people are just looking at what happened to Breonna Taylor and saying like, whatever, yeah, it's unfortunate. Or, or here are these, you know, exigent facts that I'm going to bring up to say like, yeah, it just, this, this was justified, or this is what, you know, what you deserve. And, or, or, you know, so many people are just saying like, yeah, even if we don't like it, we accept that this is just the way it is. And, and, and we are sometimes being holy means being in a very uncomfortable, dangerous position of saying, you know, this might be legal, but it is not righteous. And, and I won't bow down to it. So that is what, uh, so you're going to comfort people and I'm going to tell them that maybe you just need to die for Jesus. <laughs> well, I love the line in your sermon where you say something like, and I'm going to paraphrase you, something like, people will never ask you to co-sign on evil. They will ask you, they will call it good and ask you to co-sign when it's really evil. I mean, that's just, right. it's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, the, and that's, you know, really influenced by like Peterson talks about that in his treaties of the, um, of Ephesians and just talking about like the way that the powers and principalities work is not to say like, we're evil, get on our team. It's to say like, no, no, no. I mean, you know, to, to, this kind of violence makes peace and, you know, this kind of exclusion makes safety. I mean, it's to say you're going to do something evil for the sake of a greater good. And, and we have to be the people who say, even if you call it good, 
that doesn't mean it is good. And um, which is why we have to like, as you know, there's so much about the um, Pentecostal charismatic movement that I embrace. Yeah. But there's, there's much that needs to be challenged. And one of the things I would challenge um, people in that movement to do is to expand their understanding of discernment, right? Mm -hmm. So for many in the charismatic movement, discernment is about, um, you know, whether a movie or song or, you know, something like that is evil. Um, And then in more um, traditional church settings like ours, um, mainline, I should say, settings Mm -hmm. like ours, discernment is about um, leadership decision-making. Well, discernment is, discernment is also about being able to see these powers and principalities of evil masquerading as yeah. systems of freedom and justice and liberty. And, and, and we've got to expand the idea, the, the work of discernment to that area as well. Well, and I do think, and I, we, we need to wrap this up, but I mean, I do think part of this is you know, one of the things that's really unfortunate about the culture of Christianity that's developed in America is, is we have become, you know, we, we set pastors up and we idolize them and we put people on pedestals. And it's almost as if Christians in, in many traditions are just willing to take their brains out of their heads and hand them to whoever's in charge and say, tell mm. me what you think, you know, and t- you know, just tell me what's okay and what's not okay and who I should support and who I shouldn't support. And, and what we as pastors have, have agreed to say like, okay, cool, I'll be in charge and I'll be the decider and the discerner in chief of what, what is okay and what we should do and how you should vote and where you should live and who, you, whatever. And instead of saying like, no, it's our job to preach the scriptures and to help people learn to think biblically and to help people be able to make the connection between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Paul in Ephesians 6 telling people to stand and just to be able to say, it's my, it is what I want to give you is not my understanding of the scripture, but just an, a, your own both experience through, you know, the practices of faith and your own depth of knowledge for scripture so that when you are in a particular place, you can discern for yourself, you know, what is good and what is not. And you don't need any pastor or authority in the room. And if every, like, as Paul says, if, if even, you know, if an angel comes to you, if anyone, if even we come to you preaching a gospel other than the gospel, you know, no, say no, say, because what is sacred is not these leaders and it's not how your heart feels and it's mm. not what it'll get you. It's the gospel. And so we we just have to do a better job of, equipping the saints to have a Jesus lens through which to see the world, which requires just deep, rich familiarity with the whole biblical narrative and with lived experiences of prayer, of fasting, of, you know, um, being in community of just all the, the marks of faith. So. And let the church say, amen. And thanks for listening again. And you definitely want to listen to Yolanda's sermon, The Sunday Word for the Weary. So 
<laughs> he's making his cheerleader arms again. Um, go to Derrida Church, Derrida Presbyterian Church in Charlotte on the Google, and it will pop you over to their website, and you can go to the Podbean Podbean um, website and go look for the Derrida Church podcast. And and you should go to YouTube and you can see Yolanda's face and his hands. He preaches with his hands and it's great. <laughs> you should listen to his messages there. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can sign up for our Friday newsletter, which is amazing, um, created by Rachel Kong and uh, it's, it's, it's everything that's going on. You can um, worship with us on the Facebook live stream at 10 a.m., the Grove Church Charlotte. And you can go to our podcast on iTunes, which is apparently um, my friend Ryan, who does our podcast. And then he was listening when we had Jessica on as a special guest. And she was listening. She was listing all the different places people could get her podcast. And he reached out. And he's like, yeah, iTunes is an aggregate. Your podcast can be found on all those different sites too. So who knew? <laughs> so basically, you can get the Grove Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast because we're big time. So wow. <laughs> thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.